we're going to continue today in the book of Job. And I'm talking about a topic which touches every single person in this building. Fear. What does fear mean to you? Who wants to have a go at that? Anyone? What does fear mean to you? What If I mention the word fear, what comes up in your mind? Hopelessness, yes. Anxiety. Anxiousness. Anxiety. Who knows what anxiety feels like? I reckon everybody needs to put up their hands. Come on. It is true. It touches every single person. What else? Hopelessness, anxiety, depression. Depression, definitely. Once you become anxious and, and you've got this fear, you pull away, isn't it? You sort of pull away and then depression sets in. Depression. What else? Yes, absolutely. Desperateness. In a desperate situation, you mentioned one, one thing that we're going to talk about today is how to get, how to deal with fear. You know, we all, we all know we can have fear, but how do you deal with that? And we notice in the world today that people deal with fear in different ways, don't they? Some people go to alcohol to deal with those fears that they have. They think, if I can just drink a little bit more and, 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 you know, I get, passed out, intoxicated, then I will get away a little bit from this. But what is the problem with that? You wake up the next morning with a headache. Now you've got fear and a headache. Now you've got to take some medicine. And now before soon you, you guess what? Is those fear still there? Yes, it's still lingering around. Then guess what happens? You open up the next bottle and tomorrow morning the headache's worse. And then you need Panadol extras, not just Panadols. <laughs> And people do strange things. They go to drugs trying to get rid of fear. And people, uh, look, there's horrible things that this thing do. Fear. And we want to talk about that today and how to deal with this fear. And we find this in Job. Our key verse today is in Job chapter 3 verse 25. It says, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I have dreaded happened to me. The thing that I feared came upon me. We're going to address that. That's our key verse. Our key verse as we open up. But first let me start with this fascinating statement. Absolutely. When you look at the book of Job, and I said it two weeks ago, a lot of people when they preach through the book of Job, they talk about the patience of Job. And they want to read and preach the book and how we should have patience and the troubles, and why do bad things happen to good people? Those are the questions that generally when people go through the book of Job, they look into. But remember what we said. We found the key that opens the book, and it's this fascinating statement from Job himself. He says in Job 42 verse 2, he says, I know that you can do everything. He's talking about God here and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, you asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I've uttered what I did not understand. Job says, I said things which I did not understand. It's a fascinating statement, because this is in chapter 42. We've got 41 chapters before this where there's a lot of, talk going on. 
A lot of conversations. Yet he comes to this point and he says, I spoke about things which I don't understand. And you know why I find it so fascinating? Christians today, a lot of Christians in the churches, talk about God which they don't understand. They don't understand. They've heard about Him. But they haven't met Him. And this is what I find so fascinating about Him here. Apologies. We've got a, a mic that wants to play keyboard. That was the first for me ever in my life. I've, that's the first I've seen that in my life. So, um, so here we find that fascinating. He says, he says, things that I do not understand and then things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I've heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And friend, I want to say to you that the book of Job was written to show to you and me how a good man needs to repent. When we get testimonies, it's about people and we hear all of the bad things they did. I was a drug addict. I was nearly a murderer. I hit my wife. I kicked the dog. I bite the cat's tail. All of those dirty stories we said. And then we, we say, wow, the Lord pulled you out of the miry, dusty clay, out of the pit of darkness and filthiness. And wow, look at it now. But what Job is showing us is this is a man... This is a man which we read in the first verse. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. That's the key of Job. So that if any person sits in the church and say, Well, I had such a wonderful parents. They were church fearing going to church and I grew up in the church. That those people who think that they're good understand that there's no one good but God. And that you need to repent of your sins whether you're good or bad. This is it. So we see, and as we're going to see from weeks going on, that the Lord is like an onion pulling layer by layer Job apart to, to come to the core of him to understand what he says here in chapter 42. This is the journey that you and I are on to understand what God... And on this journey... The Lord is going to give us a few lessons. Yes, He's going to give us a lessons in patience. Yes, He's going to talk to us about why good people suffer. And all of these things He's going to address with us. But the key for us is to understand that good people, uh, that this man needed God. Fascinating statement. Now we pick our narrative up uh, after Job has lost his family. Remember his children were killed. He lost his sheep, he lost his camels, he lost his servants, everything was taken away from him. And now we pick this up in Job chapter 2 verse 1. He says it there, he says, now when Job's three friends heard of all of his adversary that come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Sophar the Namite, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. So these friends of his, they came towards Job. 
in a time of trouble. And we learn more about these people. It's interesting. And I want to lift them out because after next this week, we're going to start going into conversations these men have with Job. And we need to understand what is the background that they talk and say the things that they say. First of all, this man, Eliphaz, the Tamanite, we find him in Genesis chapter 36 verse 10. He says, these were the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz. You see that? The son of Ara, the wife of Esau. And Ruel, the son of Behavas. And, oh, these names, man. you just got to bear with me. The wife of Esau. And the son of Elipaz were Teman and Omar and Zepho and Gatham and Kenaz. Now, if you've got children one day and they get children and they're looking for names for their children, there's a whole list of them there. <laughs> Just pick one of those. But here we find out, dear friends, that Elipas is actually a son or a grandson of Esau. Who's Esau's brother? Jacob. You remember Esau, Jacob and Esau? So these, they were related. So one of Job's friends was related to Esau. You say, why is that important? Well, hang in there. I'm going to tell you in a minute. Look at Bildad, the Shuite. Genesis 25 verse 1, he says, Abram again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimram, Yokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. There's that name there, isn't it? So Bildad, the Shuite, was a descendant direct from who? From Abraham. So what does all of these people have in common? They knew that their parents and their forefathers knew God. And they saw as they grew up as little children in these households how their forefathers offered to this God. How they worshipped God. But we're going to see in the next week's coming that they've heard, just like Job, they've heard of this God, but they haven't experienced this God. They've heard of this God, but they haven't met this God. This is the important thing. Now, when I talk to people, young children who are raised in Christian families, I want to open up here. I want to take them to this passage and say to them that you can't just sit back and hope that your parents' relationship with God is going to take you into heaven. You can't hope on that. No, no, you yourself have to seek God. You yourself have to come to your end and bow your knee before the cross and call upon God. That's what I want to tell them. And I do. In my years when I get an opportunity to talk to the youth, the young people, I say to them that you have to work out your salvation. You have to call upon God. You can't just sit back. And because you are related to Abraham or to Esau or to Jacob, it, it gives you nothing. It means nothing on a contract. You need to come to the contract above all contracts where Jesus Christ Himself with His own blood signed on that contract and said their sins are forgiven them. You have to come and put your hand yourself on that contract and make it your own. You see how deep the Word of God is? These lessons are just sitting there, but people are ignoring it. And in their folly, listen to me, friend, in their folly, they think that they are worshiping, but they're not. You need to see God 
for yourself. But it also talks to me about parents. The fact that Job himself thought that through his worship to God, he will cover for his children. You can't. Yes, you can pray for them and you can continue to deliver to them the Lord and you need to show them in your life how God works in action. Parents, this is your task. This is what we need to do. But once they come to that age of understanding, then all we can do is we can pray for them. Like Job did pretty well, didn't he? So what do we learn from these friends just quickly as I move on? First of all, they came in an hour of need to Him. That is a good friend. Some people, they are your friends in good times when the sun is shining, but as trouble walks through the front door, they disappear through the back door. And this is not a true friend. These men were sitting there and they've heard about the calamity that Job was in. And it says there that they came from their own places. Have you noticed that? In other words, they came from their own comfort. Now it's not as if they could jump on a jet star or they could jump on Virgin and get into a Boeing and fly over there. Back in the day, no, no, they had to pack their donkeys. It was a journey for them to go to these people. It took effort. And this is another thing that good friends do to one another. It's going to cost you to be a good friend. Sometimes you've got to give something without receiving anything back. What did they expect back from Job? Nothing. He lost everything. No doubt. No doubt back in the day, I don't know what you call it, the herald or what, it, it did it turns around and when Job lost everything, the word went out into all of the country and say, this man has lost everything. These people didn't come with agendas. They just came to him for two reasons. One is they were going to mourn with him, and the other one is they were going to come and comfort Job. That is what good friends do. You know what a good friend do, my dear friend? He puts himself out of his shoes into your shoes. He says to you, I will walk where you walk. I will talk where you talk. You know who's the biggest friend we've got? You know who's the one who did it for us more than any other in this world? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He came, the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, He came and took on the form of a bond servant, lived amongst us. And you know what it says to me? He says He came to your door, to your address, to your name, to your surname, and He said to you, Robin, I will put on your shoes and walk with you. How wonderful is that? A dear friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Him. You see the book says in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, He says, a friend laughs at all times. What does all mean? Well, that was revealing, wasn't it? All means at all times, in good times and in bad times. And a brother is born for what? For adversary. Listen, if you call yourself my brother in this church, I would want to know that when I'm going through adversary, you are there at my right hand side and a friend at my left. Isn't it wonderful how the Bible says good friends are wonderful, isn't it? Now we continue the narrative. He says in verse 12, And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize Him. They lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his rope and sprinkled dust on his head towards heaven. So they sat down with Him. Listen to this. On the ground, seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to Him 
for they saw the grief was very great. Very great. He's lost everything. These men came to them and they could not recognize him. You wonder why they could not recognize him? The last time they came to Job, he was in nice clothes. He was a very rich man. I mean, he, he you could say, had the best Gucci or, you know, the finest cloth clothes on and they recognize him. Now we're far off, they come to him and they can't recognize him. Friends, I'll tell you what, I've been with people who go through difficult times and there's a different appearance in them. These people just honestly couldn't, there's no spiritual message in this. It's just straightforward. And he shaved off his head. He shaved it all off. And on top of that, he had boils. He was unimaginable, unrecognizable, and they couldn't recognize it. Well, and they sat down with him for seven days and seven nights, which was the ritual of the day. It's, it's still happening today with the Jewish, in, in the Jewish circles. They call it the Keturia. And what happens these days is a little bit watered down from what happened then. The, back then they would tear their clothes. And that would show a deep sign of mourning, of a big loss or a big grief. That is what it's shown when they tear their, their clothes. These days what they do in the Katira is the priest will come up and if you've lost something, they'll take a scissor and they'll just cut off a little piece of your garment back in Israel, in the Jewish, in the Orthodox Jews. They'll just cut off a small piece of it. You see, it's not the same as back then. They would throw ground into the air. It means that they humble themselves as if even under the earth. This is all of the things they went through with Job at that point in time. So rendering of the closest grief. The Jews are doing it today. Are we still doing it? No, we don't do it. Why don't we do it, friends? I give you this time now that we don't have to do it. Why? Because the Bible says we need to render our hearts. It says it right there in Joel chapter 2 verse 12. Now therefore says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. Have you noticed that? Yes, it's in your Bible. It's written there. Go and check it for yourself. I've taken this straight out of the Bible. He says, turn, turn to me with what? All. There's that word again. What does all mean? With all your heart. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. So rent your heart and not your garments. Rent your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Have you rendered your heart to the Lord? <coughs> Have you come to the point where you said, Lord, I turn to you totally with everything? Have you come to the point where you were weeping and mourning? How could I, Lord, sin against you? This is what happens today. So we continue now on verse chapter 3, verse 1. For seven days, these men were sitting on the ground, not nice pillows or, you know, lying down. Oh, my back is so sore, my legs, you know, my hamstring is really pulling. Come on, Job, just do something. Or my toe, wriggle my... No, no, they were sitting there. And again, I bring to you, these friends were there to comfort their friends, to sit with him. For seven days. Can you imagine that? It's tough for me even to sit for five minutes without saying anything. 
And that's even to myself. Yes, you're right, I'm having conversations with myself. Whoo, where's he going with this? Silence is wonderful before the Lord. Seven days, 24 hours days. Waking up, not a word, sitting there. Ass all over them. Just staring, looking at Job, looking at each other. It's terrible, crying. And then after these seven days, Job opens up his mouth. And the first thing he does, and I want you to notice this, because when we left him with his wife, what did she say? She said, curse God and die. Come on, Job, curse God and die. And I'll tell you what, he had seven days to think about that. Seven days he could think, you've got a lot of time to think for seven days, yes? You can think of a lot of things. And I'll tell you one thing, if you become quiet and you listen so long, a lot of words starts playing back. So no doubt, no doubt, that his wife's words would have come back to him and say, curse God and die. For seven days he's sitting with boils there. He's got to take a potchet and scratch the itchiness away. It's painful. His heart is broken. His head is shaven. He's not the man he used to be, they would say. Just curse God and die. So you would expect after seven days, for once he opens up his mouth, to start cursing God. But he didn't. You see, his faith was shaken but not destroyed. And now we see this now in Job chapter 3 verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He cursed the day of his birth and he goes into a big way in describing it now. And Job spoke and he said, May the day perish on which I was born and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. It is terrible, isn't it? And I can feel the man's pain. I can feel his agony. He curses the day. He says, look, if that day didn't happen, I wouldn't be here. That's what he's saying. He says, as for that day, that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice amongst the days of the year. Why would it rejoice? Because it's his birthday. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout came out of it. What joyful shout came out of that night? A baby was born. It's a boy. It's Job. Woohoo! A boy is born. He says, may that not have happened. May it not have happened. May those curse, it who cursed the day, those who are ready to arose Leviathan, may the stars of the morning be dark, may it look for light, may none, and not see the dawning of the day, because he did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. So he, he curses the day that he was born in. He didn't curse God. Praise the Lord for that. Friend, I want to say to you, if you feel like you come to a point where you have to curse the day that you was born, that is what I asked you earlier on. If you think of fear, you said hopelessness. You said depression. You said it yourself, didn't you? These are all of the things that could come in and play in all of these things. And Job is sitting there. 
Mogen trokken. And now he continues on to wish he died at birth. May that day not be there, but guess what? The day was there. And now he continues on to say, may I have been born dead. In verse 11 he says, why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have slain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who build ruins for themselves or with the princes who had gold to fill their houses with silver or was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and the great are there, and the servant is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death, but does not come, and search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave? You see, this is a man in agony. Would you agree with that? In desperate pain. He cursed the day. He cursed his birth. He wants to be dead. He says, but I can't. Now, I just want to, this is one of those opportunities that gives me to address something which the Jehovah Witnesses believe in and the Mormons believe in. And that's this word soul sleep. You know, when they say, if you read through all of these passages here and you go back, you find all of these, you see, it's asleep. And this is where it is, the soul sleep. And they would use this passage. This is what they use. I've, I've sat down with them in discussions in my house around some of this. They would turn to Job and say, Job talked about it. But friends, we do not use Job. When in Job chapter 38 verse 2 he says, Who is this? This is God speaking about Job. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, what am I trying to say? You cannot. <coughs> built a doctrine on a man who's in agony, digging so deep, he, listen, when I read through this whole passage, I don't know about you, it's as if Job finds, he's trying to find one word of calamity that will give him satisfaction. He uses all of his vocabulary to explain his heart. But is there one word that he can say that will encapsulate all? This is what he's going through. So this is not a doctrine we can build now on and say, this shows now that people are asleep. That's not so. You can't build a doctrine on that. God said this man is not, he's talking foolish. In his foolishness he talks that. Now you can't take that and build a doctrine around it. And we find the same with his friends. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Then we come to this passage now. In verse 23 he says, Why is light given to man <clears throat> whose way is hidden, and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat, and my growing pour out like water. And this is our verse now today. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me, and I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet, nor have I rest, for trouble comes. Are you feeling sorry for poor Job this morning? 
Can you see this is now not about a patient joke? Job talks about something interesting here. He says fear. And this is why I'm going to talk to you about how to deal with this fear. Job had fear. I find it absolutely fascinating and interesting that this man who we read in verse 1 was a man who was blameless, upright, and no one fear, who feared God and shunned evil, that we read now that he out of his own mouth said, the things that I feared came upon me. This is an upright Christian in the church. If you want to find a perfect Christian in the church, this is the man. In, in, in whichever way you classify a, a good Christian, whether it's whether he wears a suit and a tie and you think, wow, you know, that, that makes it for me, that makes him, or whether he, he quotes scripture verses one after and he's, oh, wow, that, that, you know, makes it, or whether it's a man like Job who is upright and he's blameless. You see, what we see, every one of us, as we see the outside appearance, but there's one who looks deeper than us. And he sees the intent of the heart. You see, we look around and people walk around with their smiling faces and you go, how are you going? Oh, it's going very well, it's going good. But behind the smile, there's a mind and there's a heart. And God sees that. This man was hiding something. He was hiding fear within his heart. Have you ever heard sermons preached about not the patient joke, but the fearful joke? Have you? I present to you today the fearful joke. He walked around and, and, and although he smiled and although he hallelujah and although he sang the songs, he took my sins away, he took my sins away. Deep inside still there was the fear. And he was worshipping. He was. Where did we see it? Didn't he, didn't he offer because he thought his children was gonna sin? Didn't he offer for them? This is the man. You see, he was this man, but he had fear. He had anxiety. He had stress. He had panic. Panic attacks. Who knows what panic attacks are? Some people will tell you, and it's a terrible thing, dear friends. It can come at any moment. You could be at your peaceful peace, if there's anything peaceful peace. Is that making sense? And then all of a sudden, a thought drop. Boom! And you're right into a panic attack. What do you do? What do you do? You see, Job, what he did when that fear, when he was sitting there, I don't know, I'm, I'm just filling in the gaps here, maybe sitting there having dinner, and then all of a sudden, because his children wasn't living in his house, have you noticed? And then maybe think, maybe the children are together tonight, and maybe one of them is going to curse God. I better get up here. I better go. You see, that's a panic. That's close to coming to it. I, and, and this is what it says. I need to do something, but I don't know what to do. And I'm becoming so flabbergasted with, petrified, procrastinated. Procrastinated. He feared two things, this man, which I pick up, and, and maybe many more, but... Things which I pick out of the word, not to read meaning into the word. That's not what we do. He feared that his children was going to do something wrong. That was a fear. He feared that they said it there. So it was when, in chapter 1 verse 5, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, his children. 
And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offering according to the number of all of them. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So he did it regularly. So what was his fear? His fear was that his sons would curse God and sin in their hearts. And what would God do? He would come down and crush them. Do you know that a lot of Christians live in churches today and believe still that? That God will come down and crush you. And I've heard sermons preached about that. Oh, you've better be a good Christian, a good boy. Otherwise, if you're naughty, God's going to come down and crush you. That's not how God works. He doesn't. Yes, He, he punishes. I get, yes, He does. But He doesn't come to crush you as His child. So this is one of the fears he had. The second one is he feared God. But listen to this fear in Job 31.23. For destruction from God is a terror to me. Can you see this man sitting around there and thinking, Wow, this God who is so powerful, his destruction, that, he, that terrifies me. That absolutely terrifies me. To think what God can do to me. And because of his magnificence, I cannot endure. Now, this kind of fear of God is good. Now, you might raise your, you might, well, what do you say? This is good for the sinner. If a sinner sits there and goes, this God can crush me, and he can. We said it just last week. Rather you fall on the rock before the rock falls on you. The scriptural, isn't it? But friend, once He saves you, once you become His child, this is, it's a different fear that you have now for God. You know how, how David calls it out? He says, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It's not destruction anymore. It's a different kind of fear of God that He has. But this man, he feared. He feared for his children and he feared for God. For the destruction power. And he says it there. He says, for the thing that I've greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened. You know, let me just correct the myth here. Okay? I want to correct the myth here. Because the, the word of faith movement. Who knows about the word of faith movement? They like to use this. They say, uh, you see? You see? Uh, Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And then they say, all you need to do every day is like a mantra. You just speak words of life over your life and nothing will happen to you. That's a lie. That's a lie. You say, on what do you base it? I base it on experience, that I've seen it with my own eyes, with people. It doesn't work. And God is not into mantras. God is into His Word. A living relationship with the Son. You know why people don't want to do it? Because it takes a little bit harder work to live in that relationship than just say a mantra over and over again. You find mantras in Eastern religion, contemplative prayer, and those places. You know what it does? It messes with people's brains and it, and it empties their pockets. Yeah. We say it as it is, isn't it, Vin? No, no, there's no such thing. It's not as if, and, and, and I found it in my life, have, have you been in a situation where you go, oh, this is going to happen, and now it's 10 years later and it didn't happen. So then the Bible is wrong. No, this is not what he said there. 
He had fears in his heart, and now it did happen to him. But he doesn't mean, and this verse here that he says, death and life is in the power of the tongue. Yes, it is. It is. If you're going to go around and constantly break somebody down with your tongue, they are going to pull in. They are going to. But it's not as if you can just say, live for a body is dead and they're going to lie because death and life is in the power of the tongue. That's not what it's meant here. And again, you know, if you want to try to make this a doctrine, I bring to you again Job 38 verse 2. Who is this who is in darkness in his counsel and his words without knowledge? He didn't understand. You remember that he couldn't see behind the scenes. He couldn't see what happened that the enemy, Lucifer, came to God. But you see, again, I bring to you that we are going to pull these layers off. This is what God's doing with Job. He pulls the layers off. Now, he exposes to Job his fear that he had. Now, let me just say it at this point in time. Who's listening to him when he says these words? His three friends. His three friends. I've heard, oh man, I've heard doctrines, I've heard people who's got an idea about the Word of God and they use his friends' arguments as, as evidence to support their points. But right now, his three friends are sitting there and they hear him cursing the day that he was born and they hear him saying that he wished he was dead when he was born and then he says these words, uh, fear, uh, uh, he feared, the fear that he feared came upon him. And you're going to see is they're going to start talking now. They use that as their reference point to have this communication with him. He doesn't say what they said to him was right and we will prove it wasn't. So who knows that fear is real? Can I just see hands? Who knows it? Is it only me? Fear is real and it comes in many ways. It comes in so many ways. It affects every person on the face of the earth. It affects you whether you like it or not. And it will affect you. People fear different things. They fear everyday events. Everyday events. They fear people. People fear people. Oh, I'm so afraid of that man, you know. Every time I, I've heard a man once say to me, he's so afraid of a person, he drives a certain car, that now when he sees the car, he gets afraid. And I believe him. Because this is what he does, friends. They, a lot of people fear activities. Now I'm going to go a little bit off here. Now I'm going to go into the medical world. And I'm by far not saying that I'm, I'm, I'm one of, uh, you know, I don't know. all. I'm not the final authority what I'm going to tell you now. But I read a lot. And I love to read. The neurologists will say today that there's three neurotransmitters in the brain that, that, that the brain produces that helps you. This is fact. In your brain, there's three things that the brain develops that will help you in times of fear or which influences you. The first one is serotonin. Go and Google it. Serotonin. Depomine and nerofurfrin. Did I say that right? Now the brain produced these things. This is how God made us. And we need to get a lot of these things produced in our brains. Low level signal to the body that there's danger. If you don't produce as many, your body goes into a state where it goes, there's danger around me, and this influences the part of your brain that regulates your fear. So if there's not enough of this thing, what will happen to you? You become fearful. 
If your brain don't generate and make these things, uh, serofirm and dopafin, if it doesn't make it, it influences your, your memory and your emotions, and it makes you highly sensitive and unpredictable in certain situations. I, do you know what I'm talking about now? I see people operating like that. They are very sensitive. And, and, and they, they, it's unpredictable in certain situations. This is just how the body is made. And sometimes it's even environmental influences and death or trauma and divorce and job losses which can reduce the production of this. Now, herein comes the thing. The doctors now give medicine for this, antidepressants for this. And what this medicine do is they help the body to create more of these things so that you don't go into a state of fear. You're not shocked. You're looking at me very quiet. But you know it's true. A lot of our friends is on this. Now, I'm not going to bag it. I'm not going to stand here and say, throw away the pills. I'm not going to be like that. I mean, you've got your own way to work out, and I can't stand here and take the authority as a preacher of the Word of God. That's all I am. I need to preach the Word of God. I can't come into your life now and tell you what pills you can and cannot take. And I'm not going to do that. If you want that kind of minister, there's churches who's got lots of them around there. Okay? I'm going to preach to you the word. This is the truth. It's happening in our day. There's a lot of people on these pills and they've got to take it every day. The only thing that I would say is that your body becomes so reliant on these pills now that if you miss one of them, it throws your whole equilibrium of your body out now and there's all many other effects that happen to you. There is so many side effects that will happen to you. This is just the truth. We have to face these things. Now that is a way. I would give you that. And I have seen people who leave their pulse and they go into a state and then they get the pulse and they become better again. And again, I repeat myself, but I want to do it purposefully. I'm not here as the final authority to say leave that. Because it works. For people we see that. But friends, I know a better way. I'm not asking you this morning, I'm telling you there's a better way. I want to get you from that way to the better way. Who's the better way? Come on, you tell me. Shout it out. Now, I know a lot of people preach those sermons. They say there's a better way, Jesus, and everybody go, Yay, kumbaya, Woohoo! it's Jesus. But how do you do that? Isn't it right? How do I go to that better way? That is what we lack to do. That's where the hard work sometimes comes in. Now my brother said it, the Lord has done it already on the cross, praise the Lord. We can't do that side of things. That is the hardest work to do. So the hardest work of what I'm going to tell you in the next few minutes, He has already done. The only thing you need to do now is to come to the cross. That's the first step. You come to the cross of Christ. You fall on your knees and you submit your life to Him. Remember when He said in Joel chapter 2, He said what? Turn to whom? God. That's a turning to God. That is a world's decision that you do. You have to decide, I want to turn to God. Yes, I know it's God who saves you. 
It's not on your time machine. It's on God's time machine. But when you come to God and you cry out to Him and He knows it in your heart and you turn away and you turn to God, my friend, I'm telling you as much as I'm standing in front of you today, He will save your soul. He will set you free and He will put you on that better path. But that's not where it stops. Now you have to grow. How do you grow? Well, the first few years, you get mummy and she comes with the titty bottle and she gives you the titty and people look after you. They give you some food and it's with a spoon. But when the boy grows stronger, he starts using his hands. And we've seen that. And they, they push it all in. They want to do it all at once, isn't it? <laughs> and I say, just calm down. But take it at a bite size and go one step after the other. And friend, you have to grow now to become stronger in the Lord. Become stronger in the Lord. But you first had to turn. Can you see? Some people didn't turn, but they want to push the stakes down their throats. And then they start goggling it. Excuse my words here. But they start throwing it up, my friends. And then they turn to me and they say, Oh, I've tried that Jesus thing. It doesn't work. Oh, I've tried the Bible thing and it doesn't work. I want to tell you, you haven't tried it. You haven't even come close because you haven't fallen on the rock of Jesus Christ. You didn't repent before God and you didn't turn. You're trying to, you're trying to take the easy road now. You have to make a decision. doesn't matter what the world say, but you turn to Christ. You turn to Christ and Him alone. And then you start eating. You see, first thing I give you in changing away from fear is choice. You choose. You choose. This is not a self-help book, by the way, or a preach or a sermon. But you see, you choose not to let anxiety and fear control your life. You make a decision. And you go to the Lord and you say, Father, help me because I can't do it in my own might and power. The Bible says, He says, go and tell it to Zerubbabel. He says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our guidance. He helps us. And, and this is where the choice comes in. You say to anxiety, you say to fear, I don't choose you today. You say, but you just told me about what's going on in the brain. Leave that to God. He will sort it out for you. But you choose today. You choose to guard your heart. So many people don't choose to guard their hearts. They let rubbish go into the hearts, through the ears, through the eyes, and the rubbish goes inside. And have you seen, I've been to some of these rubbish tips. If you put a lot of rubbish together, what happens? It forms gas. <laughs> True story. Go and talk to those people, they tell you. You put a lot of rubbish together, it forms gas, and it's very flammable. By the way, I'll just throw that in there as well. And here is the big thing, friends. You need to choose what you put in your heart. If you put the good stuff in there, the good stuff's going to come out. And you choose to focus on God and on His truth. That's a man and a woman of, of, of integrity who can choose this in this world. It's choices you make. A lot of people are in the situations and places they are because of bad choices they've made. The first thing is you either want to serve God or you don't. You either want to turn away or you don't. That's a choice. Now I put it to you this way. Some people operate like this in life. 
you see there's an action and there's a reaction. A lot of people operate like this. You see it if you drive down the motorway. You can see it every day. They talk about it on the news. Road rage. Just, you know, two days ago, there's four tradies who pulled over a truck and started wanting to hammer it down. There was a react, there was an accident, there was a reaction. And you know what they do? The reaction comes straight away in this one after the action. That's when, you know, you didn't see the car. Honestly, you didn't see him. Somehow he was in your blind spot. You go over, beep, rah, 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 pull over, pull over. Sorry, mate. You know, it's only, there was a genuine mistake. That is action, reaction. A lot of people live like this. And they bear the consequences thereof. Because your reaction becomes another person's action. And what is he going to do? He's going to react. And before long, you reacting, and he's reacting, and you reacting, and he's reacting like this. And you get a lot of bloody noses and blue eyes. But here's the thing, friends. You need to choose what you're going to do, okay? You need to put a choice in between your actions and your reactions. I get in a lift some mornings and I get in there and I say, how's your day? And they go, oh, boring. I say, why? It's raining outside. You know what it is? There was an action of rain and they reacted, oh, it's raining outside. So the rain is now determining their happiness for the day. I stand in there with a smile and I go, what's wrong with you? I say, it's a lovely day. What about the rain? I chose that the weather is not going to influence my day. That's a choice. I'm driving down there, the guy cuts in front of me, he nearly pulls me over. I, I take my foot, listen, this is a lesson I gave yesterday to Saria when we were doing that learner's thing, okay? I, I take my foot off the pedal, off the... I don't speed up now to try and get it closer to him so he get a fright of his life. I just take slightly my foot off, I put my foot over on a brake, I turn on my brake lights, I tap it a little bit, give him a space to get in. I choose to react in a different way. This is it. Same happened, friends. We've got so many choices that you and I can do. You chose to come to church, didn't you? Nobody influenced you. Nobody forced you. You choose. And this is it. Proverbs, oh sorry, you might still feel sometimes afraid, but know that God is with you and that know that God is ab uh, 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 know about you. If you choose, you know, sometimes you, your fear is not going to go away. I'm, let, let me, you didn't come here and he's going to talk and how to get rid of fear and now, boom, fear is away. Whew, no, it's going to come still and continue to come. That is one of the weapons of the enemy. He wants to make you fearful. You're not be controlled. You're not in control, but you know the one who is in control. Think of that. You might not know the future, but you know who made the future. Isn't that wonderful to know the one who made the future? And if you want to know anything about the future, go to him. And you know what he's going to say? Man, I put my bottom dollar down on this. You know what the Lord's going to tell you if you come to him and say, Lord, what's going to happen next week? Who shall I marry? Which town shall I go to? Lord, what's, going to, what's my future? He's going to show you back. He says, it's all written in there. Sit down and read it. Oh, Lord, I thought it was a shortcut here, man. What do the... No, I shouldn't go there. Let's just finish up this one. Let me give you the way to get rid of fear, friends. There's only one way I can give you. Use scriptures. Use your Bible. Pray every day and grow. 
The Bible is full of wonderful scriptures. Look at this one, for instance, Isaiah 41, verse 10. He says, Fear not, for I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Now, what do I mean by using the Word of God? Let me explain to you how I use it. You don't have to use it the same way, but I do. You know what I do? I get a verse like this and I put it to memory. I write it on a piece, little piece of paper. On the one side, I write the whole verse out. On the other side, I write Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Put it in my po- top pocket or my pockets or in my wallet. Where I go and there's a few minutes spare for me when I normally grab out my cell phone and check on Facebook. No, no. Take out the little piece, read the scripture, meditate on it. Talk to the Lord about it. This is why I get crazy, Robin, because I will go like this and say, Lord, it is so wonderful that you've written in Isaiah 41 verse 10, Fear not, Lord. Lord, today help me. Show me how it is not to fear. This is a conversation I have just in there, you know, walking in Chadston, in the mall. There's lots of people walking about. I'm not walking with a paper like this, bumping into people. It's easy to remember. The first verse, I'll take the first part and I'll walk, Fear not, for I'm with you. And I'll walk in my mind and talk to God and say, Father, what does it mean when you say that I'm with you? You know what it does? You know what it does with me? If I were fearful about something that's going on, already my mind is talking to God. It's, it's, it's thinking about positive things. It's talking about God's... You know what happens before soon? I'm into the Word and meditating on the Word, what it means. And you know, because I've read the Word so many times, sometimes another verse will jump up. Where did that come from? And then I can't wait to get in front of my computer, get a Bible program open and quickly open up and read that little passage. Do you want to tell me it's not God interacting with me? Well, that's my way. You have your way. But that's what I'm telling you what's happening with me. You see, there is Psalm 56. Whenever I'm afraid, this is what the psalmist says. So what do you do whenever you're afraid, psalmist? I will trust in you. Trust in Him. In God, I will praise His Word. In, in God, I've put my trust. I will not fear. Can you see that that is coming to a choice? He's choosing. I will not fear. He's making a decision. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? This is now against people who fear other people. I have used this scripture verse so many times in my life. So many times. You know, when I go in there and talk to those people, I'm already at a calm state. I'm already calm. I don't know, maybe my brain is producing a little more of those serotonin and all of those things. I don't need that little pill. It's already, the, the Lord is just creating it. I'm sitting there and I'm on my peace. What about Philippians 4, 6? Just going to give you a few more and then we're going to pray. Be anxious for nothing. Ah, what is nothing? What does it mean? Nothing means nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. That's what I did with my little pieces of paper. I walk down and I say, fear not, Lord, what does it mean? I'm in prayer with God. I'm talking to Him. But here I can do something else. If I become anxious, what is the first thing you do? Hit your knees, call out to God. Instead of calling up a friend and sit there and talk for an half an hour over a cup of tea and, and you know, talk about all of the negative and bad things in life. First go to God and then have that conversation. Then call up and see how that conversation is going to go. 
and peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. John chapter 14 verse 26. I love this one. He says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things <coughs> and bring to your remembrance all things that I said. Peace I leave with you. Peace. My peace I've given to you. Not as the world gives. Let your heart not be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. This is Jesus' words. He himself said that. And then finally this morning, the scripture verse my brother used over the table. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. I know this verse in and out. I use this verse I would say on a weekly basis. On a weekly basis. Because friend, fear come to my house as well. He knows my address. He knows my name. He knows my birth date. He knows my last name. He knows what clothes I wear. He knows what car I drive. Shall I go on? I think you're familiar that fear knows me. But if you sit there and say, Wow, I'm so glad he knows you because then he will go to you and, and, and left my house. No, no, no. He knows you as well as he knows me. And he will come. But when he comes, I'm ready. I choose not to be afraid. And you know what? When I think about this verse, you know what this verse meant to me? When it comes to me, I can then talk back. Not talk back radio. Talk back to him, okay? I can go back to him and say, Listen, because you are giving me fear, I don't believe you are from God. Because it's a fear that makes me anxious. It's a fear that makes me depressed. It's a fear, I, I know you're not from God. Why? Because in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. There you go. So where are you coming from if you're not from God? And if you're not from God, I don't want to listen to you. Why? Because God has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. I've used that so many times. And I'm happy for you to use it as well. I won't charge you. <laughs> Friends, if you've come here and thought it is a silver bullet that's going to take away the fear of your life, no. But we can grow stronger in the Word and in His might. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word, which is powerful. Uh, Father, it is alive, it's living, it cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. Uh, it's got a two-edged sword, Father, it cuts both ways. I thank you this morning, Father, that you've given us a lesson of fear as we've looked upon Job. The man where the fear was inside, we saw it, it was in front of all of us, but you just highlighted it this morning. Father, I thank you now as we all resonate with this passage. I pray, Lord, this week, if this fear is going to come upon our, our church members and people in this room, Father, I pray, Lord, that you will make us strong in the Spirit and in your Word to withstand and choose. Choose you above fear. Choose you ab above anger. Choose you above any other thing, Lord, that is not from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody say, Amen.